0: Hello, and welcome to the Builder series of Stacker Chats, where we connect with the amazing folks building in the Stacks ecosystem. I'm Gina Abrams, and today I'm joined by special guest, Erin Blankstein. Hero team member and senior contributor in the Stacks ecosystem. Now, Aaron's work has been instrumental in development of the Stacks blockchain, the Clarity smart contract language, and um, I think his code is in many repositories um, for for Stacks. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining.
1: Yeah, thank you, Gina. I'm I'm happy to be here.
0: Cool. And I'm super excited to have you on today because there is so much work happening um, to scale Stacks through your work and the Hero Team's work. um, And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. But um, to start, I'm curious about what made you decide to join the Stacks project? Um, This was almost five years ago, um, sort of above all the other opportunities that you had as a Princeton PhD in computer science.
1: Yeah. So when I was, uh, I guess, wrapping up my phd program a lot of the the work that i had done during my phd had, had sort of focused on computer systems like the way web applications are deployed today and work around like sort of user privacy on the internet and um, how we can sort of build kind of like more privacy focused uh, applications for users and so a lot of my research had been or had covered areas of how sort of like web 2.0 had gone wrong, like all these applications that people had built that that just sort of like ingest tons of user data. And so I'd always kind of been interested in, I guess, alternative models for how the internet could work or how web applications could work. And so at around this time, I was sort of contacted by Muneeb and he said, I have this really great, really far out idea uh, and I'd love to talk to you about it. and Over the course of like a hour long conversation, he sort of pitched what at that point was like a very sort of pie in the sky idea about, you know, a new kind of internet where, you know, users are sort of in total ownership of their data. They have like more of a stake in the applications that are getting built, the applications that they're using and sort of powering all this was the Stacks blockchain. I I don't think that it was, at this point sort of named it was just sort of like the idea is that this would be powered by some blockchain and the pitch was hey come and build this and i thought to myself you know this really resonates with like a lot of sort of the problems that i've seen in uh the web as it was then and sort of still is today and so i thought you know this sounds like a great project to join it would be really exciting and uh maybe we'll build something amazing And yeah i uh I'm glad I made that decision.
0: And what a journey being able to sort of see it from inception all the way to to now. And there are lots of applications and production, et cetera. Um, So can you share a little bit more background on some of the responsibilities you've had really fulfilling this vision through the Stacks blockchain and
1: Clarity? Over time, uh, we sort of started to flesh out you know, what the sort of requirements would be from Stacks 2.0, essentially. So in sort of the earliest days of the Stacks blockchain and sort of what was previously the Blockstack project, the blockchain that we had really only supported certain kinds of things like, you know, the BNS. And as we sort of wanted to expand that functionality and flesh out what we wanted out of the Stacks blockchain, we came up with, sort of the sort of fundamental designs. Um, And as part of that, we knew that we would need a smart contracting language to enable, you know, uh, developers to build sort of like the rich sort of applications that they wanna build without us sort of like predetermining sort of the style of all applications that could be built on the blockchain. So we knew we needed um, a smart contracting language. And so once we knew we wanted one, the question was, okay, what is the design of this going to look like um, and how is it going to be implemented? And so over time, we sort of hashed out the design of Clarity. and I I was pretty instrumental in the design of Clarity, in particular, you know, ensuring that the Clarity language sort of wasn't uh, turning complete such that it could be analyzed through uh, static analysis to tell you things like, you know, whether or not a smart contract function will ever complete, approximately how much it would cost to execute, um, all sorts of things like that. The Clarity type system, I was pretty instrumental in the design of that. And then also the initial implementation work of Clarity uh, for Stacks 2.0, as well as our proof of transfer um, algorithm. Thank
0: you. And what team do you work on currently at Hero? And can you also elaborate on the work that's done by the Hero team versus the Stacks Foundation
1: or other independent entities? Yeah, sure. So at the Hero team, uh, I'm a member of our uh, Stacks platform team. Maybe you'll hear called the Splat team. I was instrumental in that abbreviation. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, point there. But uh, yeah, as part of the platform team, you know, I help the hero engineers ensure that sort of uh, the developer platform that we have. So this encompasses things like the API that powers the Explorer, as well as um, developer tools like the Stacks.js or Clarinet. I I help uh, ensure that those things sort of capture the goings-on of the blockchain work. And then I also work a lot on uh, proposing changes and and implementing some of these proposed changes in the Stacks blockchain repo as sort of from the perspective of like a Hero contributor. So Hero as a company uh, has, you know, views about what sort of features the Stacks blockchain should have. And as part of, you know, those opinions, you know, we submit proposals, um, those proposals, are reviewed by other participants in the ecosystem, like maybe Stacks Foundation, miners, other people like that. And as those are reviewed, we can sort of work on an implementation. So while Hero, I think, doesn't like have full maintenance responsibility of like the Stacks blockchain repository, uh, we are sort of contributors to it. Um, And so, yeah.
0: Awesome, thank you. Um, and so today in this episode, we're going to focus a lot on scalability, ongoing develops in this realm. Um, and, of course, you bring this unique perspective um, on the Stacks blockchain, how it developed well before Stacks 2.0, et cetera. Um, can you just provide some high-level context to set the stage on scalability in terms of sort of the recent traction that we're seeing um, and some of the associated challenges and, and sort of growing pains for the network?
1: yeah sure so i i think that there's this kind of um two important pieces of of background when thinking about scalability in the stacks chain and like maybe some of the growing pains that we're seeing uh today so uh one of these is that the stacks blockchain is it's not you un- unique in this design choice but it is different than sort of the majority of change that we see today in a particular design choice, which is that the Stacks blockchain is an open membership blockchain, meaning anyone uh, can choose to become a miner. You do not need to have um, some certain value of Stacks to participate in sort of staking algorithm. You don't need to like register in a kind of like BFT protocol. You can just start mining so it's open membership and then two much like bitcoin the Stacks blockchain views decentralization in a pretty maximalist way um, and one of these maximalist views of decentralization is that not only should anyone be able to become a miner but the the like compute resources required to sort of follow the blockchain should remain relatively modest. And what we mean by relatively modest is like if you have a, you know, sort of off the shelf consumer available computer and a relatively good uh, network connection. So that would be like relatively good for fully developed countries. But like, basically, if, if you have a internet connection, where you're getting over 10 megabits per second on like a regular basis, you should be able to keep up uh, with the blockchain. Now, while these requirements might seem kind of high, like 10 megabit connection and a relatively recent computer, if you compare it to a lot of other blockchains, they they make the sort of assumption that if you are running a node in the network, you're going to be running it in a powerful data center, like either in the cloud or or even sort of stronger uh, data center uh, computer. So because of these two design choices, there's a couple of impacts. So one is all blocks uh, should be processable on sort of one of these sort of modest machines with a modest connection on the order of like a minute, uh, maybe a little bit faster than that. And then the, the second thing that falls out of this is that blocks should be relatively small. So in Bitcoin's case, you know, blocks are around two megabytes. Uh, and that's what we chose for stats as well, because we sort of have the same desired uh, bandwidth requirements. So because of those two things, there's just a limit on the number of transactions that can be included in a block. The block can be at most a minute and it can be at most two megabytes of data. OK, so that's sort of one Constraint. The second is that when Stacks 2.0 launched, we had very precise measurements of how the Stacks blockchain performed some of its database operations, but not all of the Clarity runtime operations. And so at the time of launch, we took a, a very pessimistic view of the sort of maximum runtime. Of various transactions various clarity instructions and we said you know in the worst case what this will mean is that you know blocks will be a little bit faster to process than we expected you know maybe blocks will be 10 seconds to process rather than a minute and later on we'll be able to enable changes either through like a cost voting process or a Sip proposed uh, fork to sort of like correct those changes. But right now we were were just trying to avoid um, the possibility that we could have like 10 minute blocks, which would um, prevent people from making sort of forward progress as miners. So those are the sort of two big design decisions that went into Stacks 2.0 that put us in the position we're in today, where... There's a lot of traction on the Stacks network and the block limits are pretty small or pretty conservative. Um, and so we we see a backlog of transactions. Well,
0: thank you. And this also sounds like there's a fair amount of opportunity um, to sort of improve things. So yeah. Um, You've worked closely on a network upgrade proposal called SIP 12, and I'd love to dive deeper in that. Um, there is a forum post that was recently published on the topic and we'll link that below in the description. Um, but again, this is a costs only network upgrade. Um, can you essentially outline some of the key components that are included in the SIP um, and yeah, what what those improvements are?
1: The SIP uh, covers basically two topics. So the first topic it covers is like how the SIP itself would get activated. Um, So it's like, how do you measure support for the SIP? Um, How would the SIP, once it's implemented, be sort of rolled out in a hard fork? Like how would participants know, how would participants signal, all that kind of stuff. And then the second part of the SIP is really about like what the actual changes in the network uh, would be so uh the second part is where all of the cost changes are so these are broken down into a couple different categories but at a high level there's there's sort of two different proposed changes so one of the proposed set of changes is saying okay we have the sort of Stacks blockchain and clarity runtime that we have today but we're assessing the cost of operations in a really really conservative way so the question that we were asking is like okay, what if we were trying to sort of like lower the bounds on that cost assessment and make the cost assessment more closely match what we actually see in the performance of the implementation we have today. So there was a lot of benchmarking work uh, that went into this. There's a project called Clarity Benchmarking on GitHub. I think it's referenced in the SIP and also the forum post where you can see all the benchmarks we ran where basically what these benchmarks are is you take a bunch of Clarity operations, you measure them on different devices and you sort of see how long they actually take to process. And then based on that, you sort of adjust how the Clarity Virtual Machine in the Stacks blockchain counts costs for those operations. So that's like one class of changes. The other class of changes is we looked at the underlying data store used by Clarity Smart Contracts in the Stacks blockchain and and sort of other parts of the Stacks blockchain, but primarily the smart contracting language uses a data store called a MARF, which has a SIP that that talks about how the the design of that data store and how it works. So we looked at the implementation of that and we said, are there any sort of like quick wins here where we could speed up the performance of this MARF? And with that speed up, sort of increase uh, that aspect of the block limit too. So this is different than the other work because it's not only sort of measuring what we have today, but it's also trying to improve on it. What we found is that like with a relatively simple change in the implementation of the MARF, we can see like three to four X speed up in those operations, uh, sometimes even higher. And so based on that, we sort of like proposed an increase in the uh, MARF dimensions of the, the block limit.
0: Thank you. Um, and yeah, on that topic of sort of the um, order of magnitude that we might expect of ch- sort of difference with these this upgrade, um, what might we look forward to um, once it goes live?
1: The answer depends a little bit on the smart contract in question. For a smart contract, like say the proof of transfer smart contract, this smart contract was already basically limited by its Marf operations. So the number of database operations each contract call was doing, that was what was like sort of placing the limit on its methods. And so this is almost like a worst case contract for speedup. And in this case, you would see a 2x speedup because we're allowing two times more Marf operations, proposing two times more Marf operations per block. So there you would see a 2x. Contracts like DNS, a lot of NFT contracts, a lot of these contracts use data store operations where they have like a big list of things that they store and then they like retrieve the list out of the data store. But the list that they're storing is actually sort of like smaller than the maximum list that they could possibly store. The way that we assess costs is sort of like changing the impact of that. So we used to assess costs based on the maximum possible list that could have been stored and now we assess costs sort of more closely to the list that's actually being stored. Those kind of contracts could see like much larger speedups, like easily sort of 3x, 4x, but many of the ones that are have like really bad or mismatched cost assessments could see like 10x or 15x or higher um speed up. So it'll depend on the contracts. But we are going to have like a build of Clarinet that allows you to compare um, sort of like if SIP 12 is implemented, like what would be the number of transactions in your smart contract that can fit in a block and and you'd be able to see the speed up between the two of them.
0: Awesome, thank you. And we'll also link out to Clarinet and where folks can follow along on on all of this um, exciting updates. And um, so, I'm curious about um, what your advice might be for developers who are building on Stacks, both who have contracts live today, um, what they might expect through this change, and then also folks who are looking to launch in the next couple of months, um, what what recommendations you might have.
1: Yeah, so I think that in, in general, my recommendations to smart contract developers are just like test, test, test. Like you should be, absolutely testing your smart contracts like so much more than you think you need to be testing them and clarinet's like a wonderful tool to do that and it'll also tell you what the sort of like cost of your operations is like you'll be able to see like okay this defined public method in my smart contract like if a stacks block was just full of this defined public method how many such transactions would fit in the block, you know, like you could see a number like 900 and you could say, okay, that's like a pretty good number. Or you could see a number like 80 and you might start to worry that, you know, your transactions would turn out to be like too expensive or it might not get picked up very quickly. And you can compare these between SIP 12 and sort of today and and sort of see like, well, if SIP 12 rolls out, does this sort of solve like my cost problems? And if it does, then, you know, maybe you you wait for SIP 12 or you participate in getting sort of SIP 12 activated, things like that.
0: Um, Excellent. And so then what are the next steps? Um, I know that there's a a bit of a tentative timeline, if you could share that. And then also um, any things we might look out for as this upgrade is potentially implemented um what that might impact if anything
1: I guess there's a there's a couple of things uh happening um so you can follow along in the like the implementation work stream so there's like on the Stacks blockchain uh repository there's a set of issues tagged next dash costs uh, and there's also like a, a public project board for I think it's labeled Stats 2.05, but that encompasses the SIP 12 changes uh, if they activate. So you can sort of follow along there, comment on sort of the goings on, and you can see the the progress of that work uh, there. Second thing you can do is there's a pull request on uh, the Stats Governance repo for SIPs. That's the SIP 12 pull request. There's a lot of comments on there. You can read it, make, make your own comments, Participate in that discussion uh, and also follow along in the sort of like activation signaling process. So, uh, SIP 12 talks a lot about how stackers uh, and other sort of community members can be involved in the voting process for uh, SIP 12 uh, getting approved. So you can look there, uh, get involved with that and and sort of follow along the progress, or if you are a stacker, you can participate in, in the voting once uh, once the tooling for that is, is sort of live. And then I guess the final part of your question was like estimated timelines. I think that it's it's still a little early maybe to, to give like a great timeline. Uh, I think based on the discussions in the uh, StackScore devs Discord channel and our uh, blockchain uh, meetings, which people can follow along with. Based on the discussions there, the idea is that we're not going to propose a block height, which would be like the time of the activation, until at least sort of half of the issues in the 2.05 project board um, have been reviewed and closed. Because that'll give us like a much better sense of like how to estimate launch time. But right now the target is. You know, end of end of November, some something around there.
0: All right, awesome. Um, and just to clarify, will any specific action be required for folks that are building apps through the change? You know, say it's implemented, um, should people be looking out for something in particular? I understand there also might be some action that miners need to take to upgrade their software. Um, but yeah, anything that sort of the users might need to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, so the, the the people that will have to take action or choose to not take action are basically anyone who's running a Stacks Blockchain node. So if as part of your application, you're like running Stacks Blockchain node and like servicing API requests, like you would need to upgrade that node in order to sort of follow this 2.05 fork if you don't want to follow the 2.05 fork, don't upgrade your node. um, and you'll be in stacks 2.0. Miners, same thing. Um, all of them are running a stacks blockchain node in order to actively mine, they would need to upgrade. So, yeah. But if you're just a smart contract developer, you just like launch your smart contract, you're not running a node yourself then there's nothing you need to do. Also nothing about the clarity, um, language itself is changing. So, Your smart contract today could be written exactly the same as your smart contract tomorrow. It just might have um, different costs. So
0: thank you. Um, And so switching gears a little bit, another part of um, ongoing work on scalability is fee estimation toward the more robust fee market on stacks and also the corresponding implementation in the Hero wallet. and so I'd love to hear a little bit more about this and sort of what might users expect um in terms of this fee network emerging. Um, yeah, anything along those lines.
1: Yeah, sure. So this work stream, uh unlike the SIP 12 work stream, doesn't change anything inherent about like the network. Like it doesn't change uh the consensus rules of the network. It just sort of adds API endpoints and maybe maybe suggests changes to miner behavior that that sort of improve uh, how blocks are assembled throughout the network. So to understand these changes, I think you need to first sort of start with like how miners evaluate uh, transactions today. So. What's going on in the latest release version of the SACS blockchain is that a naive miner um, will receive transactions from users, from the network people propagate transactions around, and these transactions won't be included in a block. And when so when a miner is assembling the block, the next block that they're trying to mine, they look at all these transactions that haven't been mined yet, and they come up with some way of ordering those transactions. And then they try to include them in a block. And then once they reach the block limit, they say, this is my block, announce it, and um, the block gets mined. What happens today in this ordering is basically the miner does uh, two things. It first sorts basically all of the transactions by the total fee paid by the transaction. And then it figures out based on the total fee paid by the transaction what the sort of total fees would be from like a given stacks account if all their transactions were included and then it tries to start including transactions that way so there's a couple of like weird behaviors right now in like the default miner that have to do with like you know does this account have like a high fee transaction that was included before or might get included later such that the ordering isn't exactly like higher fee transactions get included more quickly. But for the most part, the way it works today is transactions are just considered by miners based on the raw fee that they pay. This works okay, but the problem is that uh, not all transactions are the same, right? My transaction for which I pay five stacks might be a hundred times less expensive for the miner to include in a block than someone else's transaction that pays 20 stacks. But the miner will include the 20 stacks one because they're Sort of paying just like more than my transaction, even though my transaction, like in some sense, is like paying more for the portion of the block that it's consuming. In order to sort of fix that situation, we have a set of changes called fee estimation. In fee estimation, basically what every node in the network is doing is like as they're seeing transactions get processed. Um, they come up with estimates for like what portion of the block limit any given transaction is going to consume. So this way, when the miner is looking at the mempool, they can see not only the raw fee paid by the transaction, but also the portion of the block limit that they think this transaction is going to consume. And so uh, based on those two values, they can determine like an estimated fee rate So they could see like the transaction that I had that was like five stacks and only occupied one one hundredth of the block is actually sort of like a much more cost effective transaction to include than this other one that maybe pays a higher fee, but is a hundred times more expensive. So that's like the sort of broad set of changes. It's mostly focused on sort of minor behavior. But in addition to that, we, we add endpoints that allow uh, users to obtain these estimates such that when their wallet is about to broadcast a transaction and defi- deciding what fee to pay, it can get this estimate so that it knows, like, you know, this is going to be an expensive transaction. I need to increase the fee or this cheap transaction. I can I can reduce the fee. Uh, things like that. Very cool.
0: Thank you. Um, and I am. Just curious about how um, people might think long term about this fee market and um, just given sort of what we've seen in other networks where things can almost become a little bit inhibitive for transactions, um, anything that, that you would um, say about the fee market that's specific to Stacks?
1: Yeah. So I guess there's there's a couple of ways in which the fee market for stats will be slightly different than the fee market for other blockchains. But mostly it'll be similar to other blockchains just because like you have a block limit, everyone's competing to get into the block and they compete with their fee rates. So during periods of like high congestion in the network, you're going to see high fees. Like that's that's sort of um, the way life is in, in a blockchain. The big difference between Clarity and a lot of other blockchains that support smart contracts is the way that the the fee is sort of assigned for a transaction. So in Clarity or in the Stacks blockchain, each transaction just pays like a single fee amount. Like your transaction says, I'm paying 10 Stacks. That is always the amount that your transaction will pay. If that's not enough to get included in a block, then you're not included in a block. Other blockchains, you know, like, can think of Ethereum, other blockchains that support smart contracts. Like the way that those work with their transaction fees is that you actually sort of specify like a maximum fee that you would ever be willing to pay, and then a fee rate such that when the transaction executes, you don't actually know how much transaction fee you're going to be paying until. The transaction executes. So there's like a lot more uncertainty there on the user's end, and the model is a little bit less clear to users. um, And that can be a little bit more hostile. So
0: awesome. Thank you. Um, And so we are coming up on our time here. I feel like we could do many more episodes covering clarity and um, you know other topics because of such a, a, a breadth and depth of knowledge here. Um, so we'll include links for where folks can follow along. Um, you know, you really work, I think, a lot in public on GitHub, um, collaborating with folks that are maybe pseudonymous or other entities. Um, yeah, any sort of like closing comments or thoughts or um, ways that the community can get involved, anything that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I, I guess well, the one big thing I would say is like, if you're excited about this, these sets of changes like CIP-12 in particular, go take a look at the pull request on the governance org participate in the vote. And if you want to get more involved in Stats blockchain stuff, hang out on our Git repo. If issues are read. Uh, we have discussion posts, um, stuff like that. And, you know, PRs are always welcome. Reviews could be uh, tedious, but, you know, definitely GitHub is the place to get involved. So, yeah.
0: Great. And we'll link all that below. Um, and just to recap, these are some of the changes that are happening over the next, you know, month or so, essentially Q4 this year. And um, there's a lot that we can look out for with this improvement in the SACS improvement proposal, SIP 12, um, as well as these network fee. Um, improvements happening as well. And then I think, you know, we're going to have to touch base about there's a lot of proposals for introducing additional scalability efforts to the to the Stacks blockchain. Um, and so I think that we can dive into that in a future episode. Um, yep. But thank you so much for joining, Aaron.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you, Gina.
0: Cool. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Please make sure you're subscribed to this channel for more content like this. um, And let us know if you have any questions in the comments below. Thank you.